Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book artist, writer, and the incredibly imaginative Monty Nero about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to thank everyone that supported my most recent Kickstarter, Beyond Milford Green. At this point in time, we've reached the first stretch goal, and I'm hoping that we make it to the second stretch goal. Either way, I can't wait to finish the book and send it out to you all. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Monty Nero. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good. It's a it's a sunny Monday morning, so I'm I'm pleased. Um, how's yeah, how's how's the weather? Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, it's always quite sunny in Dundee. Sunny Dundee, yeah. as it's known. Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that that classic. That classic. So um, yeah, it's it's nice weather up here. The old uh, the old crocuses and daffodils are coming through. Nice. Um, yeah. So for for anybody that doesn't know uh, what you do in the world of comics, what do you do in the world of comics? Ah, yeah, good question. Um, well, I started off. Uh, writing i suppose um death sentence and then that went on to to do writing for marvel and some stuff for 2000 ad and vertigo um but latterly i've got more into drawing as well um i always did the covers for death sentence but um i've started drawing my own comics lately so i'm doing this graphic novel called uh, hollow monsters and um i'm also still writing Death Sentence Liberty, which is um, yes. the new series, which is on Kickstarter right now. Um, now fantastic. It, I'm looking forward, forward to getting it. Now in its third issue. So um, that's with Martin Simmons, who's a Amazing. brilliant, brilliant artist who's um, doing a lot of covers for Marvel and working on a lot of um, good series in in America for uh, on Friendo he's just done. And uh, he's done some stuff for Vault Comics, I think, as well. So, um, yeah, doing that. And then I'm also, um, I'm working on a, I've written another comic, which is coming out later this year with Yishan Lee, right. uh, which is called Frenemies, and that'll be out in May. Oh, nice. Yeah, any, any tidbits on that at all? Uh, it's, it's about uh, seven uh, rivals, uh, all sort of uh, students at university. And... Um, they they all get uh, given this extra extraterrestrial knowledge, right. um, and uh, they have to sort of um, compete to try and um, locate a missing planet that Brilliant. may or may not um, save our planet. It's sort of like very ambiguous as to whether uh, it's actually going to be a great thing when we sort of right. find this this hidden alien technology or or a bad yeah. thing. So yeah, it's it's, it's pretty exciting series. Yeah, quite. Oh, that uh, sounds fascinating. That and when was that out? Sorry, that's out in May. May, brilliant. Mm. Yeah, I'll be I'll be looking out for that for sure. Um, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It's a it's a real pleasure to have you on. Um, and uh, everybody, be sure to go check out Death Sentence Liberty uh, on Kickstarter. Just search Death Sentence Liberty, and you'll you'll find it. Um, but I I unfortunately have some bad news for you, Monty. Oh, no. um, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of breaking news um, out of some sort of uh, research facility. There's actually been a super intelligent ape uprising, um, <laughs> and 
yeah, uh, they're basically taking over the world. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm just wondering, what's your, what's your plan of action for survival? Um, well, I feel quite well prepared for this because one of the first comics I ever bought uh, myself was uh, Monkey Business, which is uh, Judge Dredd's story, Mike McMahon and uh, and John Wagner, or it might be T.B. Grover, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, fantastic story about an ape uprising in one of the city blocks. One of my favourite Judge Dredd stories. So Great. yeah, I feel, having read that, that violence probably is not the answer. Um, it, it tends to end badly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so I think initially I would I would go to ground. I would just, uh, I would, uh, I would take take shelter. Um, but then I think once things settled down, uh, I imagine at that point the apes would be very much in control. Um, yeah. Then um, I would, I would emerge, and because they're super intelligent, I would, I would yeah. appeal, I would appeal to their to their sense of reason and their better nature, um, um, and um, hopefully I would, I would, <laughs> <laughs> I would be, I'd be welcomed into their society. I, hope so. I, could, I could do some interesting comics on the the perspective of uh, non apes in, yeah, in, in this in this new world order. Oh, fantastic! So yeah, you kind of yeah, uh, trying to appeal to their uh, to their logic and reason. Well, if they weren't super intelligent and... apes, I wouldn't bother. But as they yeah. are, that that's going to be the way forward, definitely. I think so. Fantastic. Yeah, that's my philosophy generally. And so, what happens is that you do you you get employed. By the super intelligent apes, basically for writing yeah. and drawing making stories comics, yeah. and making comics. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, just uh, one evening when you're working with your uh, your ape colleagues, um, they they ask you about kind of the the good old days. Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> not yeah. good old days for them, but um, the uh, in the old days, um, yeah, the dark ages. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Let, let's call it the dark ages. Uh, and they ask you, uh, what's the first comic you remember enjoying? Oh, that was um, Buster. Uh, definitely, Buster was my favourite. I used to get that every week. Okay. Uh, loved the characters. Buster himself, of course. Chalky, yeah. he's quick okay. on the draw. That was that was awesome because he used to draw lifelike pictures and completely fool everybody with them. He'd sort of run down an alley while being chased by people, and then draw some picture of like some menacing dog or something. And they'd all think it was a real dog and run off. I just thought this was the most brilliant uh, sort of skill. <laughs> Something I aspired to do, I think. Um, and uh, Disappearing Tricks, she was also awesome. I think I had a little crush on her even when I was about five. She sure. was. Uh, she was. She had an awesome superpower. You know, the the, the ability to be invisible, and uh, she'd use that, no doubt, every week for for good. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was a great great strip. I, I used to love um, reading it and copying the pictures. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. So that was really kind of the the genesis of of you getting into comics. Yeah, it had some good art. Yeah, it had some really yeah. good art. I didn't. I had no idea at that, that that age that Buster was related to Andy Cap in any way. But that was the yeah. initial kind of ethos of Buster. He was supposed to be his son. Yeah. And that's why he had the same cap, but that never occurred to me. Even though I read Andy Cap right. as well, um, yeah. it never occurred to me until I was much older. Didn't realise that. Oh, fascinating! And yeah. so that—that's kind of where all kind of uh, you're making comics came for you. You kind of copying the uh, the drawings in Buster. Um, yeah, it was something I did when I was little. 
Uh, but you do lots of things when you're little, don't you? Sure. Um, I didn't really get into seriously sort of thinking about making my own comics till I was about um, 14 to 16, I would say. Right. Um, until then, it was all just like fun and just lots of things you'd do that were fun. And uh, reading comics was always uh, high on that list. Fantastic. And what was it at the, the, the age of 14, 16 that kind of like spurred you on? Um, I guess at that age, uh, you get into 2000 AD. Yeah. Um, I think crucial to the whole thing was just drawing um, on or in my school books while I was, um, you know, in lessons. Yeah, meant to be and, learning. Quite yeah, well, to be honest, <laughs> I was learning. I always used to explain this to teachers at the time. Right. I was saying, like, I am listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's perfectly possible to listen and draw at the same time. Yes. And obviously some people would get annoyed, but um, I actually found it, you know, quite an aid to concentration. I'd sort of doodle away okay. and uh, I'd be listening and um, they'd always try and catch me out and ask me a question and I'd say, just answer it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wasn't really smart asking it <laughs> at the back, drawing and uh, answering the question. So, so um, and also we used to, there's a few of us used to draw in or on our sketchbooks and we used to sort of pass them about. And there was a kid, few few seats down from me and his drawings were a lot better than mine and they were a lot cooler than mine mine were sort of like buster type drawings right and his were like judge dread and and sort of all this kind of gun related imagery and yeah. you know uh, all this sort of dark sort of uh sci-fi stuff and uh yeah his his drawings were a lot more popular than my drawings in the class so uh we we, we sort of became friends and then he sort of got me into 2000 AD really i started Started to realise that he was basically getting a lot of these um, these drawings. He was basically copying them out of 2000 AD. So I, that's why I went and bought 2000 AD. It was because I wanted to, initially I just wanted to to get the artwork, and that's why I bought the Monkey Business. That was the first one I bought. Um, it was a one of the sci-fi specials it was in. Um, they used to do a reprint, didn't they, of all the old 2000 AD stuff? Hmm. Um, so it wasn't a sci-fi special; it was a 2018 monthly or something like that. Okay. Um, and it had, um, you know, all the um, McMahon artwork in, which was just mind-blowingly good. So, so that's why I picked that up. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then that obviously kind of spurred you on to kind of aspire to to making comics. Yeah. Um, when I was about uh, 17 or 16. Um, I started going up to the London Cartoon Centre in London, right. um, where David Lloyd used to do a class on a Monday. And obviously, I'd read V for Vendetta by by that point, so right. um, that was you know a big deal for me. And uh, he basically um, just used to give us uh, it was like uh, you know it'd be about ten people in the class or something, or ten people turning up to each class. Uh, he'd give us like a script, and we'd have to draw it for the next week and bring it back. It'd be like a two-page script, and then he'd. Um, mm basically rip it to shreds for us yeah <laughs> and uh it was a really uh good lesson because very quickly it sort of uh, taught me how shit i was at drawing comics <laughs> and that drawing sort of cool pictures you know on the back of your sketchbook or on a bit of paper is nothing like the sort of skill set you need to draw comics you know so you have to learn a lot more about anatomy and perspective and all this kind of stuff so um yeah. Yeah, it sort of used to go two ways for the students there. I mean, some of them just used to get really disheartened and think, well, this is really hard. And others just used to sort of really buckle down to it. So um, I, used to, I, I just kept at it. And um, that was probably really helpful because it did just teach me, you know, how bad I was at it and how much I had to learn to get good at it. And you, you learn a lot just 
drawing your own comics about how comics work, you know, mm. what doesn't doesn't work and things that you think will work don't work and when you see it on the page it just it just doesn't work at all so it's very educational to be doing that every sort of week for for a year or so yeah definitely i mean that's that's an amazing uh opportunity to have had when you're yeah young always very grateful to david lloyd for you know doing that and so yeah because as long as you can um swallow that pill that bitter pill of yeah. look, this isn't any good, but you know you can get better if you want to. Yeah, yeah, um, is is so kind of vital, um, particularly when you're young, as well, because as you, as you say, it can go two ways. In that, you know, you can yeah. kind of either wallow in self pity or kind of try and you know pull yourself up by bootstraps and try and kind of you know get better. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, no, that's that's a great thing. Um, and and was he kind of quite um, encouraging and saying, look, this isn't any good, but you know, you can improve. Yeah, it's not really Dave's style. Dave's quite quite a gruff guy. Um, So, I mean, it was always always very obvious, you know, to me that he was coming up up here on a Monday evening, spending Mm. like hours doing this. So that was a really nice thing to do. But, Mm. you know, when you chat to him, Dave's just, uh, he doesn't doesn't sort of... um, he doesn't give you anything to sweeten the pill. <laughs> it's just okay. like this. This is uh, you know, this isn't working, and and this is why it's not working. And um, you know, lots of really useful information. But mm-hmm. yeah, so um, yeah, it was quite tough, tough sort of um, tough lesson, I guess. But um, mm-hmm. very, very, very interesting. You know, and, uh, obviously, having read his work, you you listen to a guy like that. You know, yeah, of course. You know, you know, he knows what he knows what he's talking about. So, um, yeah, fascinating to to get that kind of input, you know, from an early age. And uh, it was really good storytelling wise as well because they were sort of two page, they were sort of two three page stories, sort of future shocky type stories. Right. So that was just a really good lesson on like how how to how, how a story can work in a short amount of space and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's kind of that's quite key. Um, is is to try and work on short stories. Yeah, uh, so, you know everybody's kind of got like a trilogy type thing in their head. But yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. that's really difficult. Um, yeah. but, but uh, kind even, of even know, Alan those, Moore. I mean, yeah. when Alan Moore started, he wanted to write these vast space operas. Of course. And uh, in the end, he had to write these short sort of two thousand East stories. And he said later, well, that was probably that was probably for the best. <laughs> yeah, so so um, I think a lot of those ideas they initially had would probably have ended up in Halo Jones because Halo Jones was going to be a nine part kind of story. I and mean, we got, right. we got three parts of it, um, three sort of books. Um, but there were nine books to that. And I imagine a lot of those sci-fi ideas that you had were going to end up in that. So it's, I think it's a real shame that we never saw all nine volumes of that. Um, yeah. but, um, uh, some people have heard what, what the, the full story was. So that'd be an mm. interesting thing to uh to have experienced definitely um so your uh your ape colleagues are very fully engaged now um, <laughs> and, and they want to they want to find out more um and so i so say the the next question that comes up is what's the funniest or, or comic that made you laugh out loud the most um well probably talking about it more it's probably dr and Kunch, um which i used to absolutely love when i was a kid not just because it's funny the way it's written is really funny the lines are really funny, but mm. also the cartooning in it, the the uh, artwork from Alan Davis is just absolutely brilliant. There's some hilarious uh, caricatures in it, 
and all the aliens are incredibly you know they're more real and kind of uh, emotive and empathic than 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 a lot of human characters even though they're sort of weird alien shapes and stuff mm-hmm. and uh you can just see it's two two people having an absolute blast making mm-hmm. comics and just genuinely funny making you laugh um and it's one of my favorite things that Alan Moore's ever done and uh I think it's one of the, the sadnesses of um, you know, the way his career developed over the next sort of 40 years is that he just sort of gave up on being funny because he was really funny, you know, and <laughs> his stuff was really funny and it was uh, really entertaining. And I think humour is a really important part of, um, you know, comics. I think um, it's uh, when people try and worry about the legi- legitimacy of their work and of the medium, they sort of tend to shy away from humour because comics are always um you know traditionally sort of um relegated to sort of all the funny papers or whatever yeah they don't get enough respect but i think that's a mistake because humor is one of the most uh powerful emotions you can elicit in someone and uh it's a really it's a really fantastic sort of skill to be able to make people laugh and to share an idea all at the same time through through the medium of comics and um yeah it's just it's just a brilliant brilliant strip i think it's definitely i'd put it right up there with sort of watchman and you know all his more sort of lauded kind of classic material as uh one of the best things he ever did so um yeah definitely uh dr and quinch and also asterix um asterix used to make me laugh a lot when i was little I used yeah. to read it my dad used to read it as well um sort of all the sort of again sort of gags and caricatures in um sort of asterix in britain or something just really really funny or asterix in corsica the sort of um, um, humour in there, the timing of the humour as well, and again the skill of the storytelling and the and the and the, and the artwork. Uh, even now, when I'm doing a sort of joke or something in a comic, I realise after I've written a scene that oh, the timing of that is just pure asterisks. You know, <laughs> it's just uh, it's just a, a really fantastically made strip. Straight up fantastic um and so switching emotions a little bit uh they, they go on to ask what's the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read ah yeah that that is a tough one um yeah um probably um it was a book a uh, graphic novel put out by comics in about ooh, 2010 i think something like that um called seeds um not to be confused with the current series by um you know the burger books have put out but um which is the seeds this is just seeds and it's by ross mcintosh and um it's basically a graphic novel short graphic novel um about his experience when his dad was dying of cancer Wow. And uh, it's really well done, really well. He, he sort of um, drew and wrote and lettered the whole thing. And it's um, he said it was very much sort of like his way of dealing with what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's incredibly well observed, really well told, very moving, obviously very sad. Um, yeah, and it's just a really, really excellent bit of work. And um, it's a shame he hasn't sort of done anything um sort of similar since because um you know it was a really mm, excellent bit of you know comic book work and um, mm. you know a lot of people were very moved by it mm, so it's well worth checking out you can yeah um you know if you go 
Comex or Google that, you could um, probably yeah. still get copies of that. Oh, no doubt. Um, and uh, was it was there any particular kind of moment without kind of spoiling the story too much? Is there any particular moment that kind of comes to mind that wow, that's actually kind of either insightfully upsetting? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a graphic novel about his dad dying of cancer, so it's very real. And yeah, the ending of that, I think a lot of people sort of tear up at the ending of that book. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, kind of still sticking with uh, with being upset, but kind of the the flip side to that. Um, the, the the apes ask you, what's the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read? Uh, probably anything by James McCulloch. Um, yeah, he's come you, up a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, I mean his stuff is really really brutal, brutal horror, and uh, you know um, he's uh, got a Kickstarter now. I think yeah. on a new sort of short story sort of um, anthology of horror books, which might be um, a good place for people that that uh, want to get some serious horror into their lives to start. So uh, he did City of Lost Souls with Janine Van Moosel, who's um, based in Dundee, uh, which is where I live. And, um, yeah, they're both really good comics people, and uh, it's really, really good horror stuff. It is very, very dark, very, very dark, so... Right. Don't go there if you're uh, if you're not uh, you're not not uh, open to that kind of material. Sure. Um, and uh, what what is it about um, uh, this comic in particular that kind of jumps out at you being horrifying? Um, well, it's kind of everything. It's got a really um, sort of dark heart. I mean, James is a really sound guy. He's a really great yeah. guy. He's really talented creative guy um and um you know uh his darker side comes out in this in these these kind of comics that he writes um but also the way Jinning draws it is so scratchy and sort of there's a lot of heavy black but it's it's kind of like a very scratchy gnarly style that kind of you know um it's really you know effective as far as like telling the story and uh making you sort of you know feel like itchy do you know what I mean? Mm, it's got yeah, kind yeah, yeah. You of like, feel the tension in the air. Yeah, you've got the texture. The texture of the horror is, is there on the page, which I, I think um, often la- is lacking from a lot of horror material. It's kind of like they're, they're too polished and clean, you know? So mm. I think that's one of the strengths. If you're trying to do horror in a comic, I think that's an important part of, yeah. of, of what works, you know, that visceral feeling you get from the artwork. So uh, it's very effective. Fantastic. Um, and so kind of trying to uh, shift to a more positive light, they ask, uh, what's the most meaningful comic to you? Um, well, bit of a weird one, because I guess um, <clears throat> your connection to a comic is like a very personal thing, isn't it? Mm. So um, my most, like if I was just going to take one comic with me, you know, to a desert island or something, it's probably be issue 14 of Hellblazer by... Jamie Delano and Richard Piers Rayner. Um, so, again, it's sort of like that formative age where you sort of, I was getting into comics and I might have even bought it while I was, you know, on my way to the Cartoon Centre in London. Mm. Um, went into Forbidden Planet, bought, you know, a couple of comics that I was, I was into. I think I'd read Hellblazer from issue one. 
So, I mean, it was just fantastic, fantastic comic. You know, it had amazing covers from Dave McKean, brilliant, brilliant stories, awesome art uh, initially from John Ridgway and then later on Richard Piers Rayner. Um, and it was kind of like, um, it was very, especially Richard Piers Rayner, his style is kind of quite photorealistic. So it's a very mm. kind of real kind of, the kind of characters, the characterizations, the situations, kind of uh, sort of magical realism, isn't it? But before that became a thing, um, certainly uh, in the mainstream. Um, and uh, I just remember taking this comic and sort of sitting in the middle of some heinously busy sort of restaurant in the centre of sort of the West End of London and uh, just totally losing myself into it and uh, totally getting lost in it for sort of 15 minutes and just uh, feeling, you know, a real sense of sort of peace and tranquility as I was reading this story and, um, and and getting lost in the characters. And it's actually, it's one of the quieter issues of Hellblazer. I mean, Hellblazer, there's often a lot of, you know, horror um, material in there and sort of strange magical events. But in that particular issue, it's kind of like the setup to a much longer story and he kind of like just ends up kind of um, in a sort of um, hippie traveller camp and um, they kind of like uh, take him in and kind of make him question, you know, all kinds of things that he's been doing and uh, kind of the sort of uh, cocky sort of glib uh, parts of his character and he starts to relax in a way that he hasn't in a long time and it's the comic itself has got quite a powerful sense of sort of um, time and... Um, place and um, this sort of sense of peace so and that obviously really came across to me while I was reading it and it just had a very sort of powerful effect on me um, and I think that connection that a comic has with the reader where you, you really sort of move them in some ways something that means a lot to me and it's something I'm always trying to achieve in my comics you know with um, mm. death sentence liberty and so on I'm, I'm always trying to um, find moments where you can sort of connect with people in that way that's amazing, um, and and you think that has kind of that particular issue had uh, quite an effect on on you as a storyteller. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, yeah. Writing. Yeah, I mean, James well Delano is one of the first writers that I was really sort of a fan of. Mm. Um, more so than than Alan Moore initially, because I, 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 you know, you come to a comics at that moment, and um, I know I didn't know that. Alan Moore kind of invented the character of Constantine. I was just like, oh, Hellblazer, that looks cool. Great covers, get into it. And you think, oh, this is really great stuff. So you sort of learn about the history of comics and the characters later, I think. But I just took it as I found it, which is just a really fantastic bit of storytelling. Brilliant. Um, and then uh, they asked for something uh, off the... Uh, off the beaten track. Um, what's, the, what's the most underrated comic... Um, well, I was thinking about this. Um, there's all kinds of different ways you can be underrated. Uh, mm-hmm. so I think probably, um, even though Tamara Drew by Posey Simmons has been made into a movie and it's very popular in certain circles, right. um, it's sort of, it's not a comic that translates well, it doesn't really sell that well in America. Um, mm. and it's kind of like, um, you know, she's got quite a reputation as being quite a middle class kind of, um, you know, concerned with middle class kind of characters and themes and stuff. Right. Um, 
But I think the way that she tells um, stories uh, using, she uses a lot of prose. She uses like blocks of prose um, as well, interspersed with little sort of comic strips and single images and stuff. Um, And I think it's actually, it's a lot more important um, as far as the sort of uh, development of the medium of comics or um, the way that storytelling works in comics. I think it's a lot more important than a lot of people realise. And I think that over time, you know, when people look back in 100 years of sort of the comics at this time, I think these will be, you know, really, really up there as some of the most important kind of stories of the of the of the, of the time, and for me as well because I'm I don't know anything about sort of the middle class kind of literary world in which she she sort of moves in, but um, it totally brings it alive to me. You know, really, mm. uh, really uh, um, uh, gives me an insight into this this world and these characters and. She's brilliant with dialogue and little kind of characterizations in her um, renderings of the characters and her storytelling is is, is really fantastic. So, um, yeah, I'm particularly interested in the way she uses the prose as well to sort of like add right. extra layers to it. And a lot of people find that kind of uh, uh, problematic because, they, oh, this isn't comics, you know what I mean? But um, it is, it is. I mean, comics has yeah. always been the marrying of, of uh, words and pictures, you know, since yeah, the very exactly. first comics. And, um, you know, it's just the fact that there's a lot of prose in these, a lot of heavy, I mean, bits of it are like a book, you know, there's like paragraph mm. after paragraph of prose. But, um, yeah, the more I read that stuff, the more I feel, the more I like it, and the more and more I feel it's important um, and interesting as far as, you know, the juxtaposition between the different elements of the of the meaning in the in the text and the the the, um, the image in the text which is what everyone always goes on about with comics you know the um scott mcleod you know gap between the um, panels the gutters and how a lot of the storytelling is done in that mm. well um here you've got a lot of storytelling done between sort of blocks of prose and between prose and image and stuff it's it's just uh it's just a different way of achieving the same kind of thing and there's no doubt that it does add a lot of texture and depth to, to the stories and the characters which is quite interesting um but then also uh, city of glass uh which is it's by mazzicelli he's a well-known you know creator mm. um but um it's one of his kind of lesser known um works it's uh paul karasik and david mazzicelli so he was more kind of illustrating rather than um not illustrating he was doing the artwork uh the story to the visual storytelling rather than uh, coming up with the story himself um it's not an adaption of the book um and it's just a really really uh the the art's quite simplified within it it's kind of like a step towards this sort of asterisk polyp stuff right. that came later um and um it's just got some really really brilliant moments in a sort of sequential storytelling and it's kind of really deep it's kind of like a really deep sort of story about uh sort of um pluralities of meaning and the you know instability of concepts of kind of your personality and cities and uh there's all kinds of like visual metaphors in it and so on and so forth and it really it's one of those comics that the more you read it the more you find in it um right. It didn't sell particularly well at the time. 
Um, but it's definitely worth checking out, particularly if you're a fan of, obviously everyone knows Mazzuccello from the Batman, Daredevil and the Astros Polyp stuff. Right. But um, it's definitely worth checking this out. It's one of his, <clears throat> one of his um, more interesting works, I think. Great. And for anyone that doesn't know, what's the setting of City of Glass? Oh, right. Yeah. Well, it's a really, it's it's a really interesting story because um, basically it's about a detective. Um, well, no, he's a writer, and he gets a f- he gets mistaken for a detective called Paul Oster. Right, and that leads into a noirish kind of. There's lots of de- detective noir fun with like detective noir kind of archetypes and stereotypes. Mm. Um, but as he sort of falls into this kind of detective story that he's trying to solve, um, it just sort of descends into a sort of uh, noirish journey of madness and identity and language and human nature. But within this kind of metafictional detective story, it's really interesting kind of book and graphic novel. Uh, but the graphic novel adds a lot of sort of layers to it, I think. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we come on to one of the most difficult questions. Um, and uh, for you, what's the what's the best comic of all time? Ah, uh, well, uh, yeah, that probably probably have to be Watchmen. I mean, Great. as far as um, as far as you know, if you're looking for a, a, co- a comic that you can just constantly find all kinds of interesting kind of um, things about how comics work and how to tell stories in multiple different ways, and um, even though it's like massively you know popular and lauded, I still think yeah. people underestimate just how much. Um, Dave Gibbons is responsible for the genius of it Um, because you know Alan Moore wrote a lot of great stuff but he didn't do anything like Watchmen again and that's because he he didn't work with Dave Gibbons again and a lot of what's possible and what's done with the storytelling in Watchmen is only possible because Dave drew it and because Dave had that the storytelling chops and the skills and the yeah. energy and the and the and the knowledge um to sort of make it work um and um indeed a lot of the stuff that that works in watchman another artist if they tried it it wouldn't work at all because it's mm. all down to the discipline and the sort of uh, skill of dave as a storyteller um so particularly i think people often overlook the fact that he he, he lettered it which is really important because yeah. it's that it's that sweet um you know, juxtaposition between what the letters are telling you and then what the imagery is telling you. And then obviously because you've got the nine panel grid, you've got a lot of opportunities to sort of, um, you know, switch between different moments in time, panel to panel and Mm. to have visual metaphors. And there's just so many, there's lots of different storytelling techniques. I mean, if I mean, the story is one thing, the story, itself you know about the uh, the the science fiction monster that they create to try and scare the world into a sort of world peace the story mm. itself is kind of like you know b level it's more as alan himself always said it's more like how the story is told that's interesting about this yeah and like um you know um i think it's a shame that they didn't do more stuff together and i think it's a shame that a lot of those techniques that kind of clearly 
work in Watchmen weren't then applied to sort of something that was maybe not a genre story, you know, something more real life, which is why I'm always really angry with Sinkovich because obviously Big Numbers was, you know, I think that would have been Alan Moore's masterpiece. And and right. Bill Sinkovich only drew, well, three issues and, and only two of those came out. And then he sort of just stopped. And I'm just, I'm just like, oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> such a shame. It's, yeah, it's such a shame. It's such a brilliant, I mean, I absolutely love the first two issues of Big Numbers anyway, but I'm just so gutted that we never saw the whole thing. And um, I mean, because obviously it's not a, it's not a science fiction story. It's pretty much a real world story. And there's a lot of really interesting sort of storytelling in that. Not not perhaps to the level of Dave, but um, I mean, Sinkovich is probably a better, if you say like, oh, paint me a picture, Sinkovich would do you a, a nicer picture. But as far as like a comic storyteller, um, I think Dave is, is in a class of his own, really. And um, he said himself, it was just it was just the um, uh, that moment in time, you know, where he had the enthusiasm, he had the knowledge, he had the energy, he had the mm. inspiration uh, to create that. I mean, it was two years of his life, you know, went into making that incredible body of, of sequential storytelling. So I think uh, we all owe a debt to Dave Gibbons for, uh, for for doing that. Oh, and it's hilarious as well, because I found out later, I mean, I know him a little bit now because he comes up to Dundee quite a lot. And his grand, his dad used to live in Dundee as well. Right. Um, his granddad, I think, used to work in the customs here in Dundee. So um He's got, he had these memories of like um, a house, a sort of bungalow in Dundee. And when he came up to the university one time, I managed to find it for him. And I said, look, this is the house. This is the one that you're, you're talking about. And so he, he had a very happy time sort of going around there and reminiscing and sending photos of it to his family and stuff. So that was, that was really nice. Um, and he's just, a, he's just a totally, totally top guy, Dave. Really like Dave. Brilliant. Um, excellent. And uh, I'm just, curious um have you have you um read any of the doomsday clock Please. uh no 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 you haven't no, no, no. so sort i of took my leave from took my lead from dave on that one he was just like yeah nah nah, <laughs> nah. So i'm like, like fair just enough. keep right. it stick, stick with the original yeah <laughs> you know, yeah, that, like with... that was the story and that's it yeah yeah don't worry about um, it yeah exactly <laughs> that I mean, is fantastic i don't i don't i don't get upset about no, people making no, no, money about there, doing similar but, things but at the same time i don't have to read it do i so no exactly. um i mean i read a lot of comics every month that come out that are brilliant and are new and original in the same way that watchman was at the time so i mean uh, that's the way forward brilliant um and so uh they the your, your ape colleagues um kind of are really getting down to the nitty-gritty now and they wonder from that list if the if there was one comic that you know you could just keep with you um which would it be oh uh, what of that list yes uh yeah oh, that's a tricky one isn't it uh um hmm uh it'd probably be probably be dr and quinch yeah that'd probably just because right. uh, ultimately what we're talking about here is entertainment and uh, i just find it endlessly entertaining endlessly amusing i enjoy you know i could copy the pictures and learn loads about how to be a better artist just by sort of um looking at what alan davis does and uh, mm. yeah i just really really enjoy that comic so yeah it'd probably be that yeah just uh, the most fun one yeah it's exactly. lifting yeah. and uh, just and as well it's just technically 
super skilled. You know, the writing's really good and the and the art is incredible. So uh, yeah, it'd probably be that one. It's, it's, uh, I think I think one of the reasons why Alan didn't do any more was because there was this whole kind of thing about oh, it's actually just kind of um, O.C. and Stiggs from National Lampoon, okay. which is kind of like a very similar tone of sort of characters right. and sort of type of humour. And he sort of felt like, well, it was just initially it was just a future shock, and then he got asked to expand it, and he thought like, well, this has got out of control, really. So I think because he's he was very much at that, that stage worried about being taken seriously and right. the medium being taken seriously and mm. doing sort of serious works. I think he was like, oh, I can't continue with this kind of thing that I've basically just sort of, at the very least, is very heavily inspired by uh, O.C. and Stiggs from National Lampoon. So he just didn't want anything more to do with it sort of thing, which is a shame because it was really yeah, funny. And I don't care, you know, that it's similar to O.C. and Stiggs. It's just, yeah. you know, it's very much his own thing. I mean, it's, that, okay. it's okay to be inspired by people, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, I don't know, it's... It, that type of kind of comparison and saying it's just really, really similar. I mean, you know, how many buddy cop films are there? But there are many good buddy cop films, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's okay to kind of uh, reinvent the same thing almost. And as long as it kind of has its own voice, I think, yeah. then that's, that's okay, I think, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, whenever I do anything, I mean, um, with Death Sentence, it's a, it's a superpower story. Mm-hmm. But the whole kind of ethos and approach to it is like, well, every sort of element of that, of getting superpowers and having superpowers, you just think, well, how can I do this in a new way? How mm. can this be fresh? How can I talk, turn this on its head? And you can almost use the expectations that people have got from other things to make your comic um, seem really exciting and new and, and so forth, because you just sort of flip it all around and you do the opposite of what everyone's kind of used to. Um, so that that works really well in Death Sentence. I mean, it's it's very much uh, a story where it's not it's not super heroic in any way. There's no there's no sort of superheroes and supervillains, but people get superpowers. Yeah. But it's much more like, well, what would you know, you and I actually do with superpowers? Probably the last thing I'd want to do is go around heroing. Um, but we'd probably be. I mean, I'd like to make some really amazing comics, you know. So I'd probably do that like in a really sort of superpowered way, sort of. Um, Hopefully they'd be better than the ones I'm making at the moment. Um, so, so um, you know, I think if you sort of look about well, how would ordinary people, you've got in, in Death Sentence, you've got Verity, who's an artist, a very frustrated artist. Hmm. You've got Weasel, who's a, a rock star. And you've got um, Roots, who's uh, basically dealing drugs in Brixton. And hmm. uh, they're all living very sort of kind of real kind of um, multi-layered sort of uh, lives and it's like okay well if you suddenly got these abilities to be like the best you could possibly be what would you do with that if you had only six months left to live um and it kind of sets up this very dramatic kind of quite moving situation where you've only got six months to sort of fulfill you know your dreams or or to sort of help people around you um and how would you how would you actually go about doing that um it's very sort of action packed as well. There's lots of uh, action in it, but I don't like I don't like um, guns. I'm not really a big fan of guns. So so um, if there are w- there are people with guns in um, in Death Sentence, but they tend to be mm. the idiots that are just sort of like yeah. pumping bullets for, 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 to no effect. And uh, one of the great things about superpowers, I think, is you can have this sort of kinetic action 
um, with these sort of like, you know, very pyrotechnic sort of effects, but mm. it's kind of like very much in the realm of fantasy. It's not sort of like, you know, um, gun based. So uh, I'm very, very much a fan of that sort of thing. Um, so like it is very gritty and action packed and real. There's lots of swearing and sex and drugs and rock and roll and stuff, but it's all, uh, it's all very entertaining. Fantastic. Um, and so uh, we're in your uh, your apocalypse situation, which it, which has turned out okay. You know, you're kind of you're employed by super intelligent apes. Um, yeah. But uh, I'm uh, I'm wondering what uh, what weapon tool or useful item you'd like to take in with you. Um, it would have to be one of those uh, sort of uh, skull shaver sort of uh, razors and uh, sort of an electric razor. Uh, sort of um, with this razor, I would. I would dramatically sort of shave the hair off the apes, and Brilliant. just thus prove that we are all we're all the same underneath, man. Nice. And 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 this would uh, no doubt bring about a new era of uh, peace between the hairless and the hair the hairy. And uh, I'd hopefully be lauded as some sort of Nelson Mandela figure. Definitely. I mean, it sounds like it. That's that is an. I did not expect that answer. That is amazing. Um, that's it's a very good point <laughs> so, so that is absolutely fantastic um well monty nero thank you so much for being on comics for the apocalypse it's been a real pleasure um and uh for for the listeners where where can they find out all about you oh right um well death and liberty is on kickstarter now so um there's three issues of that you can get along with lots of um nice sort of extra things like original art or prints or um, badges or magnets and so on, bottle openers, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a good place to start. Um, Then I'm on uh, Twitter as uh, Monty Nero, M-O-N-T-Y-N-E-R-O. And also there's a Facebook uh, Monty Nero page and also there's a Death Sentence page where you can sort of read all about the... um, what's going on with that um and um yeah that's probably uh the best place um got a website as well but you know how it is with websites don't tend to update that as much as the um the old um twitter and the old blog uh the old uh, instagram and stuff yeah exactly mm. so so twitter and instagram are kind of the best places to to, to find yeah. in terms of kind of you know daily updates and things yeah there's only one monte nero so it's an easy thing to google Bingo. That's uh, that's the best being unique. Um, fantastic. Well, thank you so much again, Monty, for being on today. It's been a real pleasure. Um, and uh, do, you, do you, apart from um, Frenemies, uh, do you have any other projects coming up at all? Ah, well, the main one I'm working on at the moment is Hollow Monsters. Uh, I've really mm. got to get the next issue of that um, finished. It's sort of overdue, so I need to get that um, done as quickly as possible. So I'm going to be beavering away with of that very heavily mm. over the next um, six weeks and uh, trying to get that, get that next um, instalment of that out to people. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, that's, that's very much my focus at the moment. Fantastic. And, and when's that due to be out? Um, well, I'll be sending that out to the um, backers in about two months, I think. Right. Um, the, you can get the first issue. It's on sale in um, Orbital Comics and right. also page 45. 
Um, and um, after that, then it'll be ready to sort of, um, once I've done the, the next instalment, it'll be ready to sort of go together into the sort of graphic novel format. So it's basically making chapters of a graphic novel, but it's very much conceived as a graphic novel um, that's sort of coming out in sort of, um, you know, um, in chapters, as it were. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for your time today. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully I'll, uh, I'll see you at a con soon. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's, it's been really good fun. Thanks for um, inviting me on. Quite all right. Thanks again, Monty. Cheers, dude. Bye. Thanks again to Monty for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was a heck of a lot of fun. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Monty's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.